Hey, Chi Alpha. At the end of every school year, we like to have a question and answer session where students can ask our staff to answer questions about a variety of topics, about uh, faith or the Bible or relationships or life in general. Uh, and we usually wrap up the spring with that question and answer session. And we still want to figure out a way to do that, even though things are online, to still have that Q&A time. So over the weekend, students submitted a variety of questions. And we're going to take some time the next few moments and answer those questions for you. All right, how about this one? What does the Bible say about slavery? Man, that's a great question. And, and it's certainly tough and confusing sometimes to read the Bible, read passages and verses about slavery through our, our modern lenses, because we, we definitely have opinions and thoughts and ideas about what slavery means from just American history and those kind of things. Um, and so it's important to know that when we're reading the Bible and it's talking about slavery and giving instructions to slaves and slave owners, it's not endorsing slavery as a practice. And so there's a couple points we'd want to look at with that. So uh, the kind of slavery uh, that's talked about in Bible times um, is going to be a lot different than our modern idea of slavery. We think about, you know, pre-Civil War American uh, slavery where, where people own other people. And so the kind of slavery that we see talked about in the Bible, of course, we do have that uh, in, in ancient Egypt there, that, that God sets the Jews free from captivity in Egypt. Was that kind of slavery? The kind of slavery that, that's talked about in the law and then mentioned later in the New Testament, would look more like an indentured servitude, someone working for someone else to pay off a debt. Uh, and, and it was not, not ever by race, right? That person did not own the other person. The slaves had rights as citizens. So first of all, it, when the Bible talks about slavery, uh, it looks a lot different than our, our picture of slavery. Um, and, and the other idea is that uh, slavery is not promoted or endorsed in Scripture. Um, you know, rather instructions are given how those slaves and slave owners should treat one another uh, with the love of Christ and say, okay, because this system exists, then here's how you live within that system. Um, you know, Jesus and the early church writers uh, were not so much trying to uh, overthrow political systems and change laws as they were trying to change the hearts of individuals. And then as you change the hearts of individuals and families and then neighborhoods and communities and towns, and the culture, as the culture is transformed by the love of Christ, then, then the whole concept of, of slavery over time becomes morally unsustainable. And that's exactly what we see in history. As people come to Christ, um, and instead of a, a political revolution, we see in this grassroots moral change where people say, hey, uh, man, this isn't the way we want to treat one another. Uh, in the New Testament letter of uh, Philemon, man, we see Paul writing to Philemon, who was a slave master, about Onesimus, who was one of his slaves that ran away. And so Paul, in that letter, is encouraging Philemon, hey, don't treat Onesimus harshly when he comes back to you, um, and treat him uh, with love and, and kindness. Uh, and not only that, Paul encourages him to set Onesimus free. Say, hey, um, and, and set this guy free. He's your brother in Christ. Uh, and and there, there's a precedent there, um, starting there in the New Testament, to uh, set slaves free and that slavery should not be an ongoing practice. Um, you know, so the New Testament is already beginning to look ahead at a culture without slavery uh, based on how we should treat one another in Christ. Um, and finally, a lot of the early abolitionists in American history, a lot of the early uh, both, uh, American and European abolitionists were Christians. They were believers that they would point uh, to the Bible is a reason that we should do away with slavery, pointing to uh, the dignity that, that all humans have as being created in God's uh, image. When people that were promoting slavery would try to point to the Bible and Scripture and use verses out of context, they'd be quick to point that out and say, hey, that's not what that's talking about. Uh, and, and this kind of slavery is morally wrong, and it should be done away with. 
So, so that should help us as we, as we look at uh, when the Bible talks about slavery, remembering those things, uh, that slavery, first of all, looked a lot different then, uh, and the Bible is in no way promoting it. If anything, we see the Bible uh, moving to a place of, of getting rid of it um, and, and treating one another with the love of Christ. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, this next question, Jackie, what is worship? So the question asker says, what is worship? Is it only singing songs to God? What is worship? So that's a great question. Worship is not just singing songs to God. Worship is really when we focus our attention and we put our passion on anything. So you can worship anything. Now, when we talk about Christian worship, we're talking about worshiping God, worshiping Christ. And so we're focusing on him and making him big in our life, giving him glory, giving him the honor he deserves. So um, in John 4, we really have something special from Jesus where he's talking to the woman at the well and in verse 24 and 25 he says a time will come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth neither of those mention music right but in spirit and in truth is talking about we're going to worship God from our heart we're not just going to go through the motions we're not just going to if it's singing sing a song and sing the words but not think about them but we're going to from our heart give God the glory and honor he deserves now, a lot of times we do that through song because song is a really great way to express our passion, to express our devotion, like love songs, right? You think of the most popular love songs and it's like some guy or some girl and they're singing all about this person they love and it's because that's how we express it. So worship is a really good, worship music is a really good place to express that passion, express that devotion. And um, so a lot of times that's why we get music and then we've gone and confused everybody and called it worship music. Mm -hmm which is music that we use for worship. But worship can be so many things. It can be through our talking. It can be, we can worship God through tweeting or posting something on Instagram about how great he is. We, should, we can worship God by um, artistic expression. Like some of you guys can draw and paint. I can't do that. You can. Um, but there's all kinds of ways that we, should, we can worship God. Really anything we do is worship depending on where our heart is focused. I think the other thing that comes into my mind when we talk about worship through singing is community. So we see in both Ephesians and Colossians that we're called to make music to God through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that's something that Paul encourages them to do within community with other believers. So there's something powerful about when we come together as Christians and we agree whether it be through song or reading of scripture or prayer, we agree that God is great. We agree that God is worthy, that that is powerful. And so that's kind of why a lot of times in a worship service or a church service, we have worship music is because it creates a thing that we can memorize and we can sing from our heart and agree and tell God how great he is. That's good. That's good. All right. Here, here's another one. What color was Adam and Eve? What color were Adam and Eve. So short answer to this one, we have no idea and we have no way of knowing. Nope. We have no idea uh, what color Adam and Eve's skin may have been. We have no way of knowing that. But to speak a little bit to the, the broader issue of, you know, race and color and ethnicity in the scriptures, um, you know, when, when we look at the, the skin color and we would think about, man, what the skin color would have been of the, these people that we're reading about, I just want to say that very few of them would have looked like Jackie and I. Right, so as we read both the Old and New Testament, we have uh, we have people come in. We have African uh, people groups mentioned, uh, Egyptians, Ethiopians, 
Um, and, and so as you get later into the, the New Testament, you have you know, Roman characters, so people that would have been coming down from Europe. Some of them may have looked a little more, more like I do. Um, but the vast majority uh, of the people that we read about in Scripture would have been uh, Middle Eastern uh, Arabian people, uh, Middle Eastern Arabian Jews and the surrounding nations, you know, darker-skinned Arabian uh, people and Arabian Jews. Um, so not, not uh, again, not, not, not my skin color probably, but, but darker, uh, pr- probably darker than what's often portrayed in the movies and children's storybooks. Um, again, m- most of the people there that, that talked about would have been, would have been uh, yeah, darker-skinned, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, Arabian Jewish people there, um, with, with a few other, other cultures uh, sprinkled in there. Um, but no, su- super interesting question, and thank you for asking that. All right, here's one. How do I balance still being friends with people who are not in the same mindset as me in my new growth in Christ? So that's a really good question. We're going to want to look at those people, and we're going to want to still be friends with them, obviously. If we're close friends, we want to maintain that friendship. But we are going to want to look at how that's going to impact us and our relationship with Christ and do that wisely. So if um, you know that person is going to tempt you to sin, attempt you to do something that you know you don't want to do as you're growing in Christ, then you're really going to need to figure out how you're going to hang out with them. Um, but at the same time, you want to still spend time with them. If somebody's not a Christian, that's a great opportunity to tell them about Jesus, tell them about the hope that you found, and tell them what God's been doing in your life, and see that their life could be a change as well. But we're going to want to hang out with them in wisdom. So we're going to want to look at different situations and think, you know, in this situation, am I going to be the thermostat or the thermometer? Meaning, am I going to be setting the tone for what's going on? And are you going to be setting the temperature of the situation? Or am I just going to be reflecting what's happening around me? And I think that's going to be different for all of us because we're all tempted in different ways. So it's going to take being really honest before God and thinking about, you know, what's going to tempt me if I walk into this situation? Is it going to tempt me to sin? Or am I going to be able to represent Christ well there. And if it's going to tempt me to sin, then maybe that's not the best situation to hang out with that friend in. And so you can kind of, kind of find a different way that you're able to hang out with them um, without compromising your own morals. And so you're just going to want to be really wise about that. And I, I encourage you, if that's something you're struggling with or wondering about, pray about it. Because God is a great guide in those situations to show us how to love people well for Christ and how to keep living a holy life and not compromise. And so he'll lead and guide and direct you. Yeah, no, I think that's good. We need both Christian and non-Christian friends. Uh, We look at the example of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was criticized by religious people for hanging out with uh, sinners and and lost people. And and, uh, I mean, Jack had a great point, kind of know personally where you're at, what tempts you. Um, You know, if it is a relationship or a situation that's gonna be a bad influence on you, you definitely wanna take that into account. But we have to have uh, unbelieving friends if we're going to share the love of Jesus with them, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this one, we have two here that are about singleness and, and how do I uh, live as a single person. So I'm going to just do both of these together and we can we can answer them. In this season of singleness and waiting, what are some ways to stay content in God's timing and be content in your single season? And then another one that's similar, how do I embrace where I am spiritually in a season of singleness? You want to take that one? Um, so I think singleness, a lot of times we think about it like, man, I don't have a boyfriend or I don't have a girlfriend and I want to have somebody. But singleness is really an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow in your relationship with Christ. So, so 
how do I embrace where I'm at in growth in my relationship with Christ in that second question? And I think absolutely you want to grow as much as you can. You want to get in the word, you want to spend time with God in prayer, and you really want to passionately pursue God. So you're becoming the man or woman of God that is ready to meet an awesome man or woman of God, which is who you want to meet, right? When you do have a relationship, you want that to be like a person who's passionately pursuing Christ. And the way you find that person and attract that person is by being a person that passionately pursues Christ. And so I think that is like key in, in that. Yeah. So the, the, the most important thing is, is, yeah, knowing what your identity is in Christ, that when you are in Christ, you are complete and you are whole. Uh, even as a single person, you don't need a husband, don't need a wife to yeah. be made whole. Um, and so praying, God, help me to be content. Uh, just in you, Jesus. And, and God, if you do bring that person along, great. That's a, a bonus. But help me to reach that place of contentment in you and realize that I am whole uh, in you, Jesus. Uh, and then, yeah, like, like Jackie said, maybe God is using this season of singleness to make you the person that he wants you to be, make you the man of God, make you the woman of God he wants you to be. So how can you grow in this season in your spiritual walk? How can you uh, develop yourself intellectually and emotionally and spiritually and physically in this season, become the person uh, that he wants you to be? And another thing to think about uh, as you acknowledge a season of singleness is, is realize that you have freedoms in this season that you will never have uh, as a married person, uh, as, as a, a parent. Uh, uh, freedom in your time and how you spend it yeah. uh, as you make friendships with others that you're not going to have the rest of your life. So you have opportunities as a single person to uh, reach people for Christ and share the gospel um, unlike any other season you're going to have. So let God use that, use the season of singleness for, for evangelism as well. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to be able to stay out with the girls and the guys when, <laughs> once you uh, get married. And, and I think Matt made an excellent point that it's like you're not less if you're single. You're not less of a person. It's not another person that's going to complete you. It's Christ that's going to complete you. And that's going to happen regardless of whether you live your life single or you get married. Well, how about this question? Uh, so let's say you do meet that person and you fall in love and you I get married. That. Uh, this next question says, how do you know when you're ready or wanting to have children? So you're married. How do you know when it's time to have children? Well, <laughs> when the pregnancy test says that you're pregnant, <laughs> um, then you know. No, uh, so a little bit of our story. We were married and we had kids like right away. Early. So our oldest was at our second anniversary date. And maybe that was not particularly our plan, but we had talked. We had said, hey, let's go ahead and start trying, thinking that that was going to take years. <laughs> and it took less than a month. I was possibly already pregnant when we had that conversation. So I think, um, you know, I wouldn't have sex if you're not ready to have a kid. Because um, you don't really know if you're the type of lady who birth control works for or if you're the type of lady, speaking to ladies, obviously, birth control makes more fertile. Um, and so you, you don't know that. There's really one way to find that out. Um, so just, I think, you know, that's something we want to consider. But when we talk about kids, like kids are a blessing. Yeah. Kids are not a hindrance. Kids are not just an extra thing. Kids are a blessing from the Lord. And so I think, um, you know, like we want to be ready to have kids when we get, when we get married and we want to be at a place where we're ready to accept that blessing. But it's, for, for us, anyways, it wasn't like we knew we were ready. And we just woke up one day, we're like, we're ready to be parents. Um, we're still learning. Yeah. On, on some level, you're never going to be ready. Um, but you're never going to have it all, all together. You're never going to reach the place, well, we want to be at this level financially before we have kids. And, and like you said, life has a way of throwing curveballs, even if you do try to plan 
uh, for that kind of things. The best thing you can do um, is in that marriage, marriage relationship, just continue to grow in Christ, continue to strengthen y'all's relationship. Um, having a healthy marriage is the, the best thing yeah. that you can do yeah. for, to be a good parent. Uh, they want to see uh, the, the, the love that, that's modeled that, that you have for one another. Uh, and if you guys are on the same page and your communication is strong, that's going to make you a lot better parent. So the best thing you can do to get ready to have kids is, again, focus on that communication, focus on strengthening your relationship, serving one another, loving each other like, like Christ loves us. Um, and then and then just trust trust God on his, his, his timing for that. Um, and then trust that when he does uh, bring that child into your life, that he's going to help you be ready. Because, in, again, in a sense, you're never going to be as prepared as you'd like, and, and we all lean hard on his grace. Um, one last question in the, the singleness, relationships, marriage talk. Someone asked this, what are your thoughts on divorce and separation? So um, obviously no one who gets married stands there on their wedding day uh, all dressed up in their, in their tuxedo or their wedding dress and thinks, I'm just going to do this for a couple months, a couple years, see how it goes. You know, everyone, everyone plans, hey, I want to be with this person for the rest of their life. That's the thought there. That's the whole reason they're, they're getting married. So but the question answer said, what are your thoughts about uh, divorce and separation? Because obviously those things do happen. Um, something I want to say, too, is that when we talk about things like divorce, we never talk about that in a vacuum. We want to speak about it uh, carefully, knowing that it affects real people. You, you know someone who is divorced. You may have parents who are, are divorced. So this is a real issue affecting real people. So we don't talk about it uh, in a vacuum. We want to be careful to talk about it with love. Uh, the question asker said, what are our thoughts uh, about divorce? And I think what's going to be a lot more helpful than my thoughts or opinions is, is what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. So as we look at Scripture, God's attitude towards uh, marriage between a man and woman is that it would be a lifelong covenant commitment. Lifelong, right? So God's plan for, for that married couple is for them to get married and, and remain a couple for the rest of their lives. Um, and then, and so as far as, well, what's God's opinion of divorce? Well, God, God is not in favor of divorce because he's in favor of uh, a married commitment lasting a lifetime. Uh, and where there are problems, he's in favor of forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, that being said, the Bible does make allowances for divorce, understanding that this is a fallen world and we're fallen human beings. Uh, and so, so God in, in his grace does make allowances for divorce. And there, there's three major ones that the Bible and, and the church recognizes. Uh, the first is infidelity. If your spouse is not faithful to you, uh, the Bible says that might be a reason uh, to, get, to get a divorce. If, you, if your spouse just won't be faithful to you, um, then, then it's understandable that, that you would separate or divorce um, from that spouse, spouse who's sexually unfaithful. Um, another possible reason for divorce is abandonment. If your spouse literally leaves, and that's going to be tough for you to, to maintain that, that covenant relationship if they're literally not there. Uh, if your spouse leaves and abandons you, uh, you can't keep that relationship going. Uh, obviously, that, that would be a reason for separation and, and also possibly uh, divorce uh, if that spouse abandons you. Uh, and the last one, um, an another case for a possible case for, for divorce separation is that of abuse. Um, if there's abuse happening in the relationship, you know, I, I would think that the, the most churches, most pastors would say, hey, that, that's an occasion for separation uh, and, and even divorce rather than keep you in uh, a situation that's going to be abusive and harmful to you. You know, for this one, I think about, uh, you know, when Jesus is questioned about he and his disciples observe the Sabbath day and, and say, hey, aren't you guys breaking the Sabbath by, by picking grain on the Sabbath day? And he's kind of questioned about the law and the purpose of the law. And Jesus answers that, uh, the law is made for man, not man for the law. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So when God uh, 
God expresses his desires through his word, through his law, through his commands, like the command that, that marriage should be a lifelong commitment, um, understanding that that law is for our good, but also it's not, it's not a box that we have to, to fit into, that the law is there for our good. Um, so in the case of infidelity and abandonment and, and abuse, uh, and, and particularly they're, they're in abuse, that I don't think God would want to keep you in a relationship where, where you're being abused. And so uh, there's an opportunity there. Um, uh, the, the, the divorce would be would be would be an option. Um, having said all that, uh, there are are cases where where these things happen, and, and the marriage is, is still saved. It, it takes forgiveness, it takes deep humility and forgiveness, and oftentimes counseling, therapy. Um, but there are marriages that have experienced these things, and they decide to stay married and stick with it. And I think that honors God, that glorifies God too. Yeah. So so what does the Bible say about divorce? Well, of course. It's not in favor of it. There are, are some exceptions there, but God's heart is ultimately that towards a loving commitment that would last a lifetime where there's going to need to be a lot of humility, a lot of forgiveness. You're going to sin against one another, and, and that's going to take humility to, to repent and then, and then forgive the other. All right, these last few are about Chi Alpha and the future of Chi Alpha. Uh, first one is this. Will there be a relationship goal sermon series to come. You know, in the in previous years, we've done lots of relationship talks. Relationships uh, are something that, that students seem to always be interested in hearing more messages about, uh, about dating, about, about healthy relationships, and even friendships and those kind of things. Um, so you can, can certainly look back and see, uh, you know, on the podcast where we've recorded previous talks about that. And so I would say, yes, there's probably always going to be relationship messages coming your way uh, and th- those kind of things coming up, uh, sermons and series uh, about about you know singleness and dating and healthy friendships and health, healthy relationships and healthy marriage. So yes, there will be more of those. There'll probably always be more of those because that's such an important part of college ministry. Uh, here's the next question: How can we add more diversity to our Chi Alpha? So that is a great question because I think diversity is important to Chi Alpha and it's important to the heart of God. God made people and he didn't make us all look exactly the same. In fact, that would be incredibly boring if we all looked the same. And he created us um, as diverse people. We have different skin colors, hair colors, eye colors. We have different likes and dislikes, different cultures. And I think that's something really beautiful and creative about God. So as far as how do we bring more diversity to Chi Alpha, really that has a lot to do with you. It depends who are you inviting. Who are you connecting with in your classes? Who are you friends with? Mm-hmm. And, and who are you like bringing into Chi Alpha? Because we definitely have um, initiatives to reach every student on campus. And we really believe that Chi Alpha should look like our campus looks. So if our campus is diverse. Chi Alpha should be diverse. There's some things we do that are really intentional, like outreach to international students, because we want those international students to come to Chi Alpha and feel welcome. We also have things like the AALC that happens from Fort Salt, which is the African-American Student Leadership Conference, where we are empowering specifically African-American students to be leaders in our Chi Alphas. So there's a lot of things that are happening for specific different students in different cultures and different groups. But I think the big answer is just really like, who are you connecting with? Who are you inviting? And if you want Chi Alpha to be diverse, be friends with everybody, invite everybody to Chi Alpha, and that will have a huge impact on who comes and who plugs in and who starts to grow with us. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our heart as pastors of Kalfa is that uh, our ministry would look like the campus yeah. uh, as far as diversity is concerned. Uh, that when you look at look at our 
uh, group of students that make up our fellowship, it would be kind of a snapshot of the overall diversity of the campus. So what that means is if there's Asian students on campus, I would love to see Asian students in Chi Alpha. Yeah. If there's Hispanic students on our campus, I would love to see Hispanic yeah. students in Chi Alpha. And exactly like Jackie said, our our particular ministry will more reflect that as we just befriend these people, invite these people. Um, if you just look at your own friend circle and your own friend circle looks exactly like you or, or all, all one color, well then, then it, yeah, that, that, that's a place where you can step up and, and make some more friends, make an international student friend, um, and, then, and then we'll see, we'll see Kyle for change over time for sure. Next question. Uh, and this is kind of geared to our leaders, but, but I'd say, I mean, every single student probably uh, deals with this in some kind of way. It says, what advice would you give to new leaders who might think that they have imposter syndrome where they may feel they aren't qualified to lead a small group or they might think that their knowledge of the Bible is limited? How can they stay encouraged? So how do we encourage a student leader who's dealing with that imposter syndrome that we all deal with that thinks, well, I'm not good enough. And again, imposter syndrome uh, is just that idea, that voice in your head that says that uh, you're not good enough to be doing what you're doing, that everyone else has it all together except you, that you're a fake, and that if everyone else knew uh, how incapable you are, you know, that, that it'd be really embarrassing. And everyone deals with this. As a pastor, I deal with this. I'll sometimes sit down with other pastors and think, man, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be at this table. I, I don't measure up to these guys. And so uh, to that student leader, I'd encourage them, Every single person deals with this. Every single person uh, worries that they're not good enough uh, and not up to the task. Uh, thankfully, anything that God's called you to do, by His grace, He can help you and enable you to do. Uh, that, that we all lean on the strong arm of God. We all depend on Jesus uh, when we lead in any kind of capacity, but particularly as a life group leader, a small group leader, uh, we want to lean on Jesus. And if we feel like that, that man, our knowledge of the Bible uh, is not enough, of course we can study and try to grow in our knowledge of Scripture, but we also shouldn't let that uh, weakness be a reason that we don't step out and lead. I mean, there are things that you know. There are things that God has taught you, things that you can impart to others that are valuable. Uh, and I'd start there and then and then try to grow in, in your relationship with God, of course, but then grow in your knowledge of Scripture. Uh, and, and God's going to help you. And of course, pastors, staff are always here for you to lean on, to come to with the question. Um, but but I, I would encourage you, everyone deals with that uh, to yeah. some degree, uh, and to lean on God's grace and not let that hold you back. Um, and, and, and the things that you have learned in part to other people, teach other people, uh, as you are in faithful, as you're faithful with the small things, as you're faithful with what God's already trusted you, he's going to help you to, to be able to do more. But that's a great question. Thank you so much yeah, for asking that. All right, Jackie, one last question. What are your plans for the 2020-2021 Chi Alpha school year? And how do you guys plan to recruit freshmen and upperclassmen? You know, so basically, how are we going to recruit new students? And I think this question is, is kind of under, you know, we got to think about the backdrop of uh, the current, you know, viral pandemic and will campus be open? Will campus be closed and mostly online? All, all those kind of things. So, Jackie, what would you say is our plan in the fall for, for reaching new students? Well, lucky for you guys, we always have a plan. <laughs> and in this particular case, we have multiple plans, right? My heart, my prayer is that we'll be back on campus. And so then we will do the normal things we do. We'll do involvement fair, we'll table, we'll meet students, we'll reach out to everybody. We'll like actually be able to face-to-face -to -face talk to them and invite them to Chi Alpha, right? And that is my hope. Now, if that's not the case, there are still ways that we can reach out to new students. In fact, we're starting that now. We're starting now connecting with incoming freshmen and you can help. If you know some freshmen that are coming 
to the University of Memphis or some students that are coming into the University of Students that don't have a community, or you think Chi Alpha would be a great community for them, because who would it not be a great community yeah. for, right? Um, then connect them, get them involved, tell them about your life group, because we're doing those on Zoom. So if they're not in town, they can get involved yeah. this summer, because we're keeping those going through the summer. You know, get them connected, meeting other people in Chi Alpha. And, and like, really, you guys can help with that. Now, come fall, if you're like, I signed up to be a life group leader, or I've signed up to be in a life group, and I don't even know how we're going to meet new people because we're in classes and they're done from distance and all I'm meeting is people on Zoom. Let me tell you this, you can still make friends. You guys are a friendly, good-looking bunch and you can still make friends. And so we'll just have to work harder. We'll have to be creative. We'll have to look at like on that discussion board, who are the people that like I connect with and I feel kind of like-minded with, or who is somebody that maybe needs my encouragement. And we'll just have to intentionally reach out to those people. It might be through a FaceTime or a phone call or a text instead of a face-to-face contact. And trust me, I'm more comfortable with this than I am talking on the phone all day, but there's still things we can do to reach out. And so we're not going to let COVID-19 stop us, whether we're on campus or we're still doing things from a distance, it's not gonna stop us. We're still gonna be here as Chi Alpha Memphis. We're still gonna grow. We're still gonna reach out. And uh, I really believe that we're gonna see God do amazing things. That's good. I believe that too. You know, hanging out with um, my friend at the bar, if I'm tempted by drinking, is probably a really bad idea. That's my dog. Probably easier than trying to figure out where you left off. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> Thank you guys so much uh, for being with us again this time for our Chi Alpha Live. This is our last regular Chi Alpha of the spring semester. Starting next week, we're going to transition to summer Chi Alpha. Here's some changes you can expect as we move into the summer Chi Alpha time. Uh, summer Chi Alpha is going to be at a little bit later time in the evening. It's going to be at 9 o'clock uh, on Thursdays. We're still going to post the Chi Alpha video to Facebook, but our primary place for that is going to be at, on the Chi Alpha Memphis YouTube channel. So you'll find us over there a little bit later in the evening at 9 o'clock. Uh, still on Thursday nights as we continue on into the summer. Another thing coming up is this uh, coming Sunday at 6 p.m. We're going to have our senior affirmation night. And this is something super important where we uh, honor those students that are graduating and have time to affirm and encourage them. Again, something that even though we're online, we still really wanted to make sure that we did. So that Zoom call is going to be Sunday at 6 where we uh, affirm and encourage our graduating seniors. So that was, as we've answered a lot of questions uh, over the last few minutes uh, that you guys have submitted. Uh, some of those things we, we went uh, deeper into than others. Um, many of these topics like worship and relationships and these different things, uh, we've done longer teachings and sermon series on. And so if you if you check out Chi Alpha's podcast, the Chi Alpha Memphis podcast, you can listen to some messages that go a little bit deeper into these topics as well. Uh, when this video wraps up, I'm going to be going live on Facebook to take your prayer requests and pray for you. Uh, love you guys. Hope you have a great week.